0: Three years ago, I revealed a truth about myself that had slowly been coming into my consciousness. I remember how hard it felt to come to grips with my new identity. I finally spoke up because I needed to find my community, be around people who understood. My mother got that email with the subject line, it's time to come out. And so did hundreds of my closest friends and family. But I'm jumping ahead because it didn't happen overnight. In fact, it was only after years of trying and failing, slipping back into my old ways. I was being stubborn, or at least going with what was familiar to me. No matter how many times I was offered an alternative, I wouldn't even consider it. And then I met Polar Raspberry Lime Seltzer, and it was a game changer. That led to experimenting with other polar flavors. I remember walking around a supermarket looking for a beverage to quench my thirst. What did I buy? Diet Coke, my old friend? A zillion other sugary options? Nope. I got a can of polar blueberry lemonade seltzer. It was delicious, which felt really weird to admit. For my entire life, I had abhorred seltzer. And then I started ordering a glass of sparkling water with lime at restaurants. What? So yes, three years ago, I came out as a seltzer drinker. And I didn't stop there because I then got myself a soda stream to make my own seltzer at home. And I didn't stop there because 18 months ago, I started buying a 20 pound tank of CO2 to refill my soda stream canisters at home, which was a seriously good move in a pandemic. I average four or five pints of seltzer with fresh lime a day, a small change that has had enormous health benefits when compared to the caffeinated and or sugary drinks I used to consume in large quantities. That got me thinking, what small change have I been resisting that would help me succeed in business? Your challenge this week, what small shift could you make so you were better able to take advantage of the many opportunities and possibilities in the world around you? Could you keep better track of the people you meet who might become prospects or collaborators? Could you send one thank you email or gift a week to someone who supported your journey? What opportunity or strategy have you been automatically saying no to for years that might now be something worth trying? If I can become seltzer obsessed, anything is possible. Try this and let me know how it goes. Before we dive into this week's interview, I wanted to let you know that in 2022, I'm running a year long mastermind entrepreneurial women in their 50s and 60s, looking to grow their impact and their income. The problem my clients often have, and are willing to admit, is they're interested in hosting a podcast or writing a book. What they don't have words for is their desire to take their business to the next level, have greater impact, be seen as an expert, and generally manage their time differently. I help them leverage existing relationships to test out new revenue streams and strategically expand their professional network to pursue their goals. I'm offering a few early bird specials that provide one-on-one support in 2021, this year. So you're ready to make the most of the opportunity to be in this mastermind next year. Reach out if you'd like to know the details. I'd love to chat and learn about your really big ideas. Email me, Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. Also, a variation of the story I shared today was first published in my weekly email on May 22, 2018, and was featured in my new book, which will be available later this year. Now on to this week's interview. Today's guest believes that the sensible and practical side of life meshes perfectly with the woo-woo side of life. As a chief technology therapist at Sensible Woo, she teaches highly sensitive and neurodivergent online business owners how to replace technological chaos with a harmonious technology system. Through programs like Digital Feng Shui, her clients optimize their business foundation from an emotional and intuitive perspective so they can delegate and automate without wasting time, money, or energy. She's an accredited librarian with a master of science and information and set the foundation of her career as the first digital archivist for Disney Animation Studios. From there, she has worked with marketing agencies, entertainment technology companies, public libraries, fundraising organizations, and technology startups. Please join me in welcoming Mary Williams.
1: Thanks, Robbie. So happy to see you on here.
0: (laughs) Mary, thanks so much for joining us from your home office in Vancouver, Washington. As you know, this is a a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: Okay. So I really feel like True leadership is the ability to say, I don't know. I feel like that is true leadership. And as a technologist and someone in technology, the world is constantly changing. Like the ground is never solid, there's always something new, and there's like, I feel like I never know anything. (laughs) I just tell people that I've been that person who's been willing to hit the button and say, I might break it. And because of that, I'll be willing to fix it. Um, But I feel like I'm always looking up new information. I'm always having to learn something new. And I feel like real leaders are willing to admit that, hey, that's something I don't know yet. And I I don't think I really totally figured it out until... um, So I kind of rose through the ranks of my career a little bit. And I found myself a little more on the leadership side of projects and, you know, sitting at the head of the table (laughs) with very talented people in engineering and realizing like, Oh, Hey, it's okay. It's safe. Like I can say, I don't know this. And our job is actually to figure it out. So if I can admit that we don't know, then we can actually build something that's pretty cool and move forward.
0: Uh, You know, I've been doing this show for like five years and I love when I here definitions that are really different from what I've heard before. And, you know, when you say, I don't know, I, I'm thinking about how we're always talking about innovation and piloting. And if you're not comfortable with the, I don't know part of that, then you can't innovate. You can't pilot, you can't test, you can't grow, you know, you will stay sta- stagnant and, and static and, you know, status quo. Um, so it's, I love this, this idea of like leadership is being able to say, I don't know and we will not be stuck because of, I don't know. We will we will persevere and move forward sort of not just like in spite of but because we don't know it is worth exploring. Is that what I'm sort of hearing?
1: Yes, that is so totally it and I feel like it has transferred so well into entrepreneurship and you and I both have coached a lot of pilot course building students in our times and and being able to say I don't know but either show me how and, or let me, let me work on figuring that out. You know, those are the things that help you grow. And I feel like it's also the thing that sets people apart from the pack. You know, we we are in such a saturated industry and there are a lot of people who are just sort of like swimming around and they're, and they're frustrated. And I totally get that, but the people who roll into my programs, I mean, that's a really big thing that we infuse everything with is, I might not know all the answers for you. I'm not here to be your encyclopedia. I'm here to be your wayfinder and hold space for you and show you, here's how you find information. And I feel like it's really rooted in librarianship too, um, because part of being a librarian is helping people find their way through information and you just get really good at researching and looking stuff up. So that's, that's always kind of been the basis. I really, I
0: like really appreciate this perspective too about holding space because if it's just about giving people answers, then that's giving people a fish, right? It's not teaching yes. them how to fish. And I feel like what you're doing is giving people space to, to figure out their own way, their own systems. And I speak from specific uh, <laughs> personal experience because you know listeners may know Mary Williams, uh, her name at least, and Sensible Woo, because I've talked about her a bunch in my weekly emails, um, talked her up online. So Mary and I first worked together through a company called Miracy, which is where we were overseeing hundreds of students <laughs> who were learning about the art of launching a pilot course, which is a course about courses, basically very meta. And since uh, the end of last year, we've been working together one on one where she's actually been coaching me around processes and systems. And so thank you for holding space for me. You would recognize sometimes like, you know what? I see now how you work. You know, let's let's adjust this to fit how you work. So I I know you kind of dived um, you, you, I think you credit your librarian background quite a bit. Um, that's sort of a, a route to how you identify yourself and think about the world. But I want to like unwind even further back than librarian school and you getting uh, your um, your master's in science. So, you know, when you think about leadership and you think about where you first started to like, I don't know, like sense that you had the ability to bring people together or inspire people or to like hold space or whatever you, whatever you're thinking about. Look, I mean, because clearly when you're 12, you're not like, I'm a leader, you know? But like, what actually. were you like in grade school? <laughs> I mean, I'm really curious. Like, who were you in the playground? Did you, did you run for office in high school? Like, yeah, like, you know, did, did teachers see potential in you? Like, who were who were you back in the day?
1: Um, it's funny because you say back when you were 12, actually it was back when I was 12. <laughs> actually, I was 11. Um, so I, I'm, I'm an introvert and I didn't realize that until... I was much older, um, actually, like not too long ago. I I really embraced my introverted side. Um, As a librarian, I'll give you the tip. There's a great book by Susan Cain called Quiet about the introversion spectrum. And I realized I'm, I'm really more of like a social introvert. So I present extroverted in a lot of instances, but... I I really like being alone in the corner with a good book, (laughs) and that was me most of elementary school, but I also grew up a lot overseas. My mom is Taiwanese, and my dad was an East Asian geography professor back when he was pre-retired, and we were back and forth between Michigan and Taiwan a lot as a child. So, you know, I think there was some integration issues too, with just being out of school a lot, like back in those days, it was really frowned upon. And now it's like the hip thing to take your kids on trips, but back then not so much. And, um, and, and so I always had like kind of a close, small circle of friends. We were kind of the misfits. And then, um, And then I got into middle school and I don't even know what possessed me to do it, but they had student council and I was 11, sixth grade. (laughs) And I decided I'm gonna run for president. Why can't I be president? And I won. And I gave a speech with note cards at a podium and I didn't even know I had it in me, but I loved it. There was like this rush of talking in front of people. And I quickly learned that my values were different. Like I really wanted to make a difference, <laughs> and of course, there's only so much you can do when you're an 11 year old student body president. <laughs> but um, I remember losing the election the next year in seventh grade when I was 12 because some other candidate promised like free snacks out of the vending machine, and I was like, "That's ridiculous! You can't do that. That's not real." Um, and I and I knew that. And so for a long time, I was really interested in government. And I thought, oh, that's where I'll make my, my difference. But as I grew up, I realized, oh, I don't think that's really my place. <laughs> I think I'm too much of a rebel for that. And, and, but it just kind of grew from there. And after that, I, I never really shied away from leadership positions. Um, I remember heading up, you know, all kinds of different programs as I grew up and got older and um, everything from being, you know, editor of the op-ed pages for the student paper in high school. And then in college, I did um, a year of service for AmeriCorps in the Promise Fellows Program. And it's, it's a fellowship, so it's a little different. It was Colin Powell's program um, for building youth programs. And in Michigan, they had a statewide fellow who would manage the other 12 fellows spread through the lower and upper peninsulas. and um, And it was totally a leadership position. And then I remember they had me... Give a speech to represent Michigan at the national conference that met in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. And I, I can't remember, I spoke in front of like 4,000 people or something. And I just remember being like, I got this. I so got this. <laughs> and it just kept going from there. Um, and then as I grew up, I've always had this interest in um, entertainment, which is why I ended up working in it. And so when I moved to LA, I, I started taking acting lessons. I tried stand up comedy for a hot minute. And I really found that these skills, they just, they build and they build and they build upon each other and they teach you how to stand up and be present in front of people. Even when you're scared, even when you're like doubting yourself <laughs> and stand-up comedy will totally teach you like all of your doubts, all your crap will come up <laughs> and you learn that you can get up in front of a microphone and address people and show them that like, I see you, I hear you, I'm here. I might suck in front of you, but like, I'm here.
0: This is so cool. I, there's so much good stuff in here that I want to just dig in a little bit. Uh, I mean, what's interesting is, you know, that, that I really am curious about that first time you decided to run for office because, you know, there's all these studies that tell, uh, tell us that women need to be sort of suggested seven times that they should like run for city council And, you know, a man, you can say like, you should be president. He was like, yeah, I should be president. Why not? You know? Um, And I mean, of the United States, you know, like, like there's just, you know, a real difference. And so to be 11, but I also wonder if you, you had this sort of um, dual culture upbringing. So you weren't, you know, seeing more of the world and I, and also have having an experience of being a little different in both places. Like there's maybe there's like, it was almost like a tenacity that you, That came like for some people that might have actually shut them down further, particularly as you identified as an introvert. But it sounds like for you, like why not? Like it's just such an interesting, different way of coping with difference. It's like well, why not? Um, So you know, who do you think sort of got you to that very first? Because of course, all the other stuff kind of stems from that. But was it your parents? Was it a teacher? Like who gave you the yeah you should? Like did anyone like affirm you as soon as you mentioned it? They're like don't go for it.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I always had good support from my parents, but also a lot of freedom. Um, I grew up very self-directed. And I think that made a big difference. And, you know, I think actually when maybe one of the most formative experiences might have been in first grade, my dad had a Fulbright grant. And so we were overseas for the whole year. And I had done kindergarten in Michigan, <laughs> half-day kindergarten. And then I had full day first grade. And I ended up in a private English-speaking like international school in Taipei and um and i remember it being like a tough year <laughs> for me as like a little 6 year old because i remember just being really intimidated and like all these, it was really cool. There were all these international kids; their parents were diplomats. My teacher was from London. I learned how to spell that year, so I still like to write O U R E, <laughs> and and I have to like remind myself not to do that. So there's some interesting things there. Um, but the thing that I think was more formative was coming back to the states in the second grade. And my parents were very intentional on who the teacher should be. You know, there was a choice between one teacher or another. And they put me with Mrs. Hartman, who's still my favorite teacher to this day. And she really got me. She understood. I still remember her kneeling down next to my desk you know, and saying, you know, what was that like over there? How are you doing? And because of the schooling that I had had in first grade, it was not American school. So I came back reading, like they tested me, I came back reading in a fourth grade level and doing like long division. And like second graders were not doing that in the States. And so she had to figure out a way to hold space. She made the recommendation, don't have her skip grades socially. It'll be too hard. And, but she created like an advanced learning pod and, you know, and and she did things that I think really infused the belief that like there will, somebody will hold space for me. Like this exists. And I think that's the magic of a good teacher. And I think it inspired me because at one point I thought maybe I should go into education. I remember talking to her about it when I was in my twenties. And she was like, I don't think you, honestly, I don't think you belong in education. Like you're meant to go do other things. And she was right. Um, but but now that I teach online, like I, I can see where
0: all that yeah. kind of comes you know, from. It, it is a little full circle, um, yeah. you know, how, how coaching and teaching the way we do it, are, there's that blur between the two. It's not a pure coaching. Um, so, so I love, I mean, I sort of love origin stories um, that people share. And I think that listeners can sort of see themselves in it. And I also, um, I'm not surprised to hear that you're an introvert and I'm not surprised to hear that you enjoy public speaking because I've actually now met a lot, a lot, a lot of professional speakers that are introverts because it's a really different thing to stand by yourself on a stage and speak. than like circle a crowd and schmooze, like those are very different skill sets. And, um, and and like, if you're comfortable on your own, then in, in a way, like being on a stage by yourself doesn't feel disquieting. It feels comforting. So, um, but, and it sounds like that, that is part of your, um, I don't know, your like a a certain set that you have that you've acquired and dipped into. Um, I I have to say like you moving to LA is also really interesting. I mean, you have this like, you know, Michigan roots and then you're like, I'm interested in entertainment and I'm going to go try out acting. And the thing about, um, you mentioned, the um, stand-up comedy. I have really come to appreciate this in the last few years. I've heard from a lot of professional speakers, Dory Clark actually being one of them, that um, it's a really great way to like work on your skills. And um, I attempted it <laughs> once. You did too? In college. No, no, no. <laughs> Wait, no. Pre, pre all this. I did it twice. <laughs> once with an audience I knew really well and they scripted exactly what I knew they'd laugh at. And it was awesome. And then I used the same script for a different audience, and it bombed. Yep. <laughs> then I packed my bag <laughs> up and went home. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's really in, it's intriguing, um, and it, you certainly learn how to pick yourself back up again if you keep doing it, right?
1: Yes. Um,
0: but oh, but if you go to LA and you and you have this dream of you know being in entertainment, and it doesn't happen, like like did you have that as a like a clear, I'm gonna do this, or was this like? Well, I might do this and and once I'm there I'll figure out other things. Like how how much did it stall you that you didn't end up like in front of the camera?
1: It didn't really stall me. I think I always figured and I think I do still figure. <laughs> I always hold space for it. Like if that ever came up, like I wouldn't say no. I think it would be a lot of fun. Um I don't know if it's just covid times and restlessness, but kind of been itching for a stand-up mic again, which is funny. Like I, I like to write a lot, like I journal a lot and I just things pour out of me. Um I remember I had friends in stand up comedy who were like, okay, write, you know, like what you think would be about five minutes will help you, you know, develop your first five minute open mic set. And I came back with pages and they're like, are you writing like an hour Netflix special? Like, what are you writing here? And it just, it's it's just not a problem for me to come up with material. And because I had my academic career, I just always figured, you know, I've always had a root in something that was, you know, solid and, standard and <laughs> secure. <laughs> and, and so I never thought to leap out in an attempt to like make a career, like some of my friends who are actual actors, Yeah, but um, you know, it's fun seeing shows like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and, and seeing that, like, there, I think there's, I think there's a resurgence in people wanting to bring joy, laughter, or humor, you know, to the hard parts of life. I think that's one of the gifts of comedy, which is probably why
0: I just really enjoy it. I mean, I'm going to jump forward a little bit, but I know you as an entrepreneur. I know you as a coach. um, I mean, it it feels like worlds away from you being the first digital archivist at Disney. (laughs) Um, And so in retrospect for you, does that seem like a clear line between the two?
1: Yeah, I feel like it is. Um, I know, I feel like my whole career technically looks like a big jumble of yarn or spaghetti or something but i feel like like everything builds on each other and i've always tried to scratch whatever itch i had so you know back in the day like i was an fbi intern i thought i was going to be an fbi agent 911 happened the agencies were a mess and i was like i don't want to deal with that and so i was a teller for a couple of years and then i went and got my masters in libra- in library science and And then I went into entertainment. I was like, I love movies. Why am I avoiding entertainment? It's a for real occupation. And... And I did. I set, I set my intention and I totally manifested that role. I even wrote the job description. I worked for a different department before animation brought me in. And they were like, we want someone like you. <laughs> and so I wrote them a job description based on what I do. And then my division was already doing layoffs like corporate does. And um, I had already learned how to protect my butt and I made a transfer. And, and then I went over there. Um, but I, I learned so much about business by working for a company. Like Disney, it felt like getting an MBA for years because I really got to see how an organization like that is structured, like how it actually functions from the inside. Like you can watch, you know, Bob Iger on masterclass. It's not the same thing as working there every day, day in and day out, all the good stuff and all the bad stuff and everything in between. Um, and seeing how seeing how movies are born, you know, I got to see so many movies. I have film credits, and I got to sit there in the theater during lunchtime, munching on my salad, watching rough cuts of animated features that won Oscars, you know, in like a couple of years. And and they would hold auditions with the staff, so you could try to be a scratch voice actor. And it never happened for me. <laughs> but at the time, I was I, I started dabbling in stand up. Like I just thought it would be fun. And there weren't a lot of women doing it. And I think, you know, something that's always driven me is just seeing that, like, there are some women who just need to see it in front of them. And I just am one of those people where, I don't know, I just have a lot of pioneering archetype energy in me. And I'm like, I will bust through that. Give it to me. Let me try it. (laughs) Let me go do it. And, and sometimes I've fallen totally on my Booty and other times, like it's just been easy of sword, and that, but most of the time, it's it's the okay, let me try it again. Yeah, let me iterate, let me try it again, which is you know, entrepreneurship.
0: I'm gonna say that that your description is so clearly entrepreneurship, and I imagine, um, since you know, we're speaking now in the early part of 2021 and we all know globally what happened a year ago, that that kind of energy also helps you reframe your worldview and what you're able to offer and impact you can have when everything sort of kind of gets shifted around. Uh, What, what, you know, what were you doing mostly before this, you know, COVID moment hit and then what have you been able to transform into doing or doing more of since then?
1: You know, it's funny. I feel like before COVID I clung to my idea of like, it's like this, it looks like this and I'll launch it like that. And people will love it like this way and that way. (laughs) And then COVID happened. And I feel like COVID actually, I mean, I see COVID as a gift in a lot of ways. There are some really crappy things that happened in the world because of COVID, but on like an entrepreneurial level at my home office here at my desk, um, it was just nothing but a gift. Um, It broke down all the objection barriers people had around technology and systems, which is what I help people with. Um, And I found that um, because people were forced to go like totally 100% digital they didn't have any more excuses, um, you know, to say, oh, I'm an online entrepreneur. But when I would try to get people previously before COVID onto Zoom, they would have problems getting on, nothing worked. And I thought, if you're an online entrepreneur like this wouldn't be hard for you and and so i feel like everybody really finally got into the space fully and it finally gave me a chance to actually test more material um kind of in that stand up sense you know test material listen to the audience is there a reaction do i need to pivot um and and i started taking smaller bites. I tend to take really, really big bites. And it it encouraged me to try smaller things, be a little more experimental. And and then in the beginning of 2021, things have shifted again, but they've come into a place that is, I think, more mature in my offerings than they were say in 2018 by a long shot.
0: Oh yeah. I can imagine that um, for me as well. You know, um, the, the littler bites... Uh, felt I, I i mean I experienced this it felt easier uh to just be t- testing things and piloting things and trying things out when everything was so in flux that the idea of getting it right just to me never like it it, it just like left my brain like i just yeah. that wasn't even a factor because nothing was right <laughs> like like you know and and there wasn't a lot to lose in trying new new things and um for me. Uh, and I've talked about this in other places when I get interviewed about it, but I was just trying to figure out how to show up and add value. And, yeah. you know, uh, you had a sort of interest in this um, really intersection, interesting intersection. You know, I've joked that um, you're, I love the name of your company. It's Sensible Woo. And I, what I like about it is that I'm I'm not like a woo-woo person, but I can handle one woo. And um, <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, because I, I I like appreciate the heart-centered approach to things. And, um, but like you're, you found this really interesting intersection and, you know, as I was describing you in the intro, a very particular niche of people that you're serving and a lot of entrepreneurs have a hard time, at least the first few years, um, niching into a, you know, a sub, you know, community within a larger category. How did you become aware of the fact that this is who you wanted to serve and this is the offer. This is the, this is the value that you wanted to to put out into the world and the impact you wanted to have. I mean, it's like I said, like a, the sensible woo, it's a great description of the practical and, you know, the spiritual, the woo of life that you have found sort of meshed together in a way that a lot of people, I think, I guess, shy away from, or I don't know how you would describe it, but for you, it just seems like it fits. But that doesn't mean it makes sense as a business, and yet you made it make sense as a business. So I I'd love to hear about the origin of, of this part of your business.
1: Well, there is an origin story of this. Um, so I've been a tarot and then Akashic Records reader for over 20 years. So while all that other backstory was happening, this is so entrepreneurial. I also was doing, <laughs> I also was doing readings for people. And it started, um I mean, I always always had some things in my life, but it was in grad school. One of my best friends to this day, um, we both instantly bonded in like the first week of grad school because we were waiting for the bus. We were on the same line and I made a Buffy reference. And she was like, you like Buffy? I like Buffy. We're going to be friends. And she is also a tarot reader and she was hanging out at my apartment and she saw, I had some decks of cards on my bookshelf and she's like, excuse me, what are these? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, you know, and I, and I just didn't have any confidence at the time. I was like, oh, I'm not very good at it. Like, I can't remember the card meetings, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> she's like, that's not how we're going to approach it. And so we started getting together doing what we called playing cards. So like I would cook dinner and she would bring over some beer and we would just camp out on the floor of my apartment and we would throw cards and read for each other just to hang out and kind of relax because grad school is pretty intense. And um the very first time I read for her, she's like crying. <laughs> she's like, how did she like, holy crap, you're good. <laughs> and and it it informed me, you know, it informed me like, oh, I've really been shortchanging myself. So you know it's kind of funny because you know you have me reflecting now on all the public speaking things and I was so confident in other areas and then some areas, personal areas, just having a lot of doubts. So then I moved to LA and Los Angeles is a very, very woo-woo kind of a town, you know, turn a corner, there's another metaphysical store or some psychic shop or something. Um, But long story short, I finally met some people who were way into woo-woo things and um, just started learning more and continuing to expand and learn and grow. And um, my friends knew at this point that like I was... Totally reading. Like I would, I would pull up my cards, and they would call me up on the phone and say, "I don't know if I should break up with him," <laughs> and I'd be like, "I don't even need cards for that." <laughs> and uh, and they started referring like friends and roommates, and so I started charging, and they would just PayPal me, and then we would talk on the phone, and I would read, and yeah.
0: I'm wondering though, like, okay, so you so you have that experience now, right? You're getting yeah. more confident in that space. And clearly you have this like other side of your brain, you know, the, the like librarian systems processes side of your brain Yes, that I think, you know, you, you blend so beautifully when you were trying to think of like, who needs this help? Did you just think who's around me? I have this community of of people like, like, how did you realize, because it's, it's, it's a very cool niche and it's serving you like, Did you know that right away or did you do the mistake that everyone makes, which is like, I help people?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I always knew I wanted to help metaphysical people because something really interesting happened. And I think this is a great entrepreneurial lesson. And we talk about this all the time with our communities, right? where we tell them listen to what your people are asking for and i would be in the middle of straight up tarot readings and people they knew what i did professionally as well so they'd be like okay so can i ask a question about my business and i would say sure you know and i'm thinking they're going to ask some existential question and they'd be like so if i'm going to launch like what do you think is the best launch window and if i'm going to use like this what do you think i should payment systems and, and i was like this does not require tarot cards. Like (laughs) these questions are systems and tech-based and I paid attention, you know, I connected the dots and I didn't dismiss it. I realized like, oh, wait a minute there's, there's space in here. There is a gap in the market. You didn't know where else to come. You felt like you needed emotional validation. That's why you came for a reading. And now you're asking a business related question. And you know, I can hold space for that too. So you think they go together. And I realized, oh, they do go together. (laughs) And I think the hardest part has been actually you know, creating that market, there's that book, Red Ocean, Blue Ocean. And a lot of people are like, I've got to find my blue ocean. And when I realized, oh, wait, I did find a blue ocean. I realized this thing comes with a whole other host of problems. Like if you have a red ocean, be grateful for it. Like (laughs) all you got to do is build a marketing system. But when you have a blue ocean, you have to educate and teach people because people don't know that they can ask for it because, you know, if they don't know it exists, most people... Won't know to seek it out. So um, I've started seeing more and more people offering things kind of in this in between space. It's not very many of us, though.
0: Yeah, I I love this idea that you were paying attention to a gap in the market, which is just such a key um, skill for an entrepreneur, Uh, particularly in the last couple of years. I feel like there's been multiple upheavals, COVID just being one of them. And um, you know, just being able to to identify and pay attention to what people are wanting from you, and not like dismissing it out of hand. And I think that one of the things that often happens for entrepreneurs is when you're good at something, you don't value it as much, and so you don't think like, oh, I'll just I'll just give you that answer, I'll just help you for half an hour, like. But you don't realize like all of those moments are actually adding up to an offer that you could be making that would have more sustainability for those uh, people who are asking and and not just be like a one-off advice, you know, coffee chat. And that's part of what happened to me. It was like by April I had already done by the end of April, I think I'd done like three Zoom trainings and had like 12 phone calls and I didn't reach out to anybody. Like it was all inbound. And I was like, oh, so I mean, I piloted in may my first offer, uh, which means I actually filled it with 15 people. By mid-April, <laughs> and I like the first time I opened a breakout room was March 20th. <laughs> Do you know, like
1: <laughs> I remember
0: those days. <laughs> yeah, you were there. Like I and, was there for that. It was very whirlwind. It was very much what you're saying. It's like, well, pay attention, well, pay attention. I remember thinking to myself, I'm in the middle of coaching all of these entrepreneurs on how to like you know make their shifts and pivots and reinventions or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and respond. And then I was like, well, I need to like act like that. I need to be the, the, the person, I need to think of myself as a client, you know, who's taking my own best advice. And then, you know, sometimes that's the hardest part, right? So like, we know what so to do, hard. but we don't do it. Which awesome. is why coaches need coaches. And this is one of the things <laughs> I most appreciate having found you uh, is having that relationship. But this is really cool to like dig in. I've always kind of been curious because it is, um, yeah, it's different. It's different. And yet it makes sense once you talk to people about it. Um, it's a, it's a way of taking intuition to another sort of level, um, for, for people who appreciate that.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's an interesting space to be in. There are two spaces that I equally love and I know, (laughs) I know how much people in business all the way up to the C-suite, how much they seek out metaphysical comfort and advice and validation. Um, and it is a form of coaching. A good reading is a form of coaching. And and I find that there's a, still a stigma. Um, like somebody just tagged me on LinkedIn, I don't know, a day or two ago. And on somebody else's post who is was um, giving like a eulogy to an old business mentor who had just passed, and she described this woman as being like very woo woo and how it helped her realize she could connect with her woo. And I started reading through the comments, and it was real 50 50. Um, some people were like, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. That's a beautiful story. And then there was this other group that kind of surprised me. I thought, for like a really emotional post it's really more of the sentiment should really be i'm sorry for your loss and they were like oh i just like that oh i can't stand that stuff you know and i thought that's so inappropriate on one hand but it but but that's market research too like i listen to that i keep my finger on the pulse of it and i know that the the you know the comfort level of being out of the broom closet, so to speak, is becoming greater. So um, I, and, and I know from having done so many readings over the years, how many people s- seek guidance. And then in the end, the advice is, you know, take action. <laughs> That's yeah. coaching. That's coaching. So they they go together.
0: The, um, the thing you said about um, how people are reacting, I, I think that it's, it's, if you have a very bland, um, like if your if your stance on an issue, like ignites, no reaction whatsoever, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like people are just going to ignore you, but, uh, it, it takes, it takes a certain comfort level to put a stake in the ground in a way that, um, you know, claims who you are. I mean, I, I had a moment last year where I wrote like a very clear message to my community, like, you know, I, I aim to work with people who share my values and if and if you're yeah. demonstrating that you don't share my values then like i'm not really sure why you're following my work um mm-hmm. because i don't desire to work with you and i don't know why you would desire to work with me and if you think you like me you don't actually like me because you're not acting like you do because <laughs> <laughs> your values don't follow through on that action like so um like your actions show me otherwise and, I, and, and that was like a very you know there i has i mean i mean i wrote it my emails are written like weeks in advance, So I had, a, I had a little time to sit on it, which I think is even harder than just hitting send. And I had to really be like, oh, and how am I like clients going to react to this? Like how are prospects? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, people like I, if that's true that I want to work with people, I, I share values and I have to have values that are shareable. Like I have to mm-hmm. stay something that might not be something everyone agrees with. And I don't want to, you know, like it, I, <laughs> I want to be like, you know, Namaste and move on, right? Like I don't need to stick around. Like I'm I'm not trying to convince people of something else, but like I also, you know, that's it, like move on. Like I don't need your energy. And so I'm this is my little woo, like you just saw it. Like that that's kind of where it shows up. am almost like, you know, I if I was southern, I'd be like bless them, right? Like, you know.
1: <laughs> I love that down south. I lived down south for a while and yeah, oh, bless I, her heart. I'm like, oh, that's not a compliment. <laughs> nope. No. So,
0: yeah, I This is really cool. One of the things I want to talk to you about is like how you stay in touch with people um, because you have had a very varied uh, work history um, that maybe in retrospect makes a little more sense, but as you called it, like a a pile of spaghetti (laughs) (laughs) um, ball of yarn. And so, yeah. So, you know, how do you nurture and sustain connections with people that you like and enjoy, but they're not your innermost circle. There might be like the second and third layers out. There are people you see once a year at a conference or you work with five years ago, but you don't really have a reason to right now, like, do you have any habits or philosophies or practices that help you nurture and sustain sort of your, your wider network, your looser connections?
1: Yeah. You know, I actually feel like it's rooted in not in the future, but in the past, I feel like when you are generous of spirit right now, all those people, they remember you (laughs) when you're nice and you help them um, when you help, connect other people and there's no gain for you. They remember you. Um, I, you know, I used to be speaking of leadership positions. I used to be president of the alumni association for university of Michigan's Los Angeles club. And there's like 40,000 alumni in that region, in that area. It's a huge Metro club. And um, we would do a lot of career events and it was around the time of the 08 market crash. So a lot of people got laid off. And so we were providing a lot of services for them. Like the alumni network really tries to take care of um, other Wolverines. And, and I got to know by default, a whole bunch of recruiters and, people in hiring positions. And they got to know my work too. And because there aren't a lot of people who, you know, set up digital asset management systems, <laughs> they they would come calling to me for, you know, any variety of positions, everything from like data entry to consultants, because they knew I knew who those people were. And I would connect them. And what lo and behold, one day I wanted to move on and the recruiter knew. And she's like, Hey, are you interested in moving on? Cause I got this role and I'm just going to slot you in if you want it. And she did. And two weeks later, I was in a new role somewhere else with a much bigger paycheck. And, and, you know, and it can be as easy as that. But if I reached out to her today, she totally remembers me. I don't have to message her all the time for her to remember me. The the interaction was more than memorable for a very long time. And she now has her own recruiting agency in large part because she did so well back in those days because she had good partnerships too. So I I feel like it's all rooted in the past. Um, You know, I feel like if something's coming up where I know I might see some people, I do my best to make sure that I see them. Um, at least go to like that alumni reception or the cocktail party or whatever the thing is and show my face. I don't have to be being an introvert if I'm tired, I don't have to be the party queen, you know. Um, in my heart, I might want to be, but I don't have to be. and 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 that helps too. but I really feel like concentrating on being generous of spirit today is the most important thing, especially in entrepreneurship. I feel like we always have to remind each other that, there's room for everybody and everything.
0: I love this idea of generous of spirit. It, it aligns beautifully with the way I think, you know, of the world and see the world, which I think is why you and I connect so much um, and love working together. Uh, I have what I call the philosophy of abundance, that if I give away time or money, like that's a, that's a resource that will be depleted. But if I give away knowledge, you know, it just it increases the capacity of everyone around me and I don't lose anything. In fact, I, I stand to gain by having a more robust connected and engaged and informed like community around me and network around me and um like i think that actually for a while it was hard for me to figure out how to get paid because i it felt so good to just help people you know so like rewiring my brain to make it an offer that was sustainable for both me and my client as opposed to that one off coffee chat you know that took a little while um as i think it's true for a lot of entrepreneurs but i mm. i can see that the idea of like what you want the future to be is really how you act now and how you act in the past um you know i've, I've referenced this before but um this idea of it being like a, an insurance policy you know you you invest you you never buy insurance hoping to use it um you know Jordan harbinger came on my show um now of the Jordan harbinger show and formerly of art of charm and he talked about like the network being like an insurance policy and you don't you know, you, you, you don't ever expect to need it. And then one day you do, um, then it's there for you. And it sounds like you're not expecting a lot in return. And yet people remember you, you have these strong interactions. Um, do you, do you like actually have a list of people or like you and I have a good friend, Ron tester, you know, I always yeah. joked, like you could even <laughs> use index cards. And then he came on my show and had like a full on system. Yeah. With index cards. Um, <laughs> Like, do you have anything that you help you track people who are important to you in any you know moments of your life?
1: No, I I, I use LinkedIn like a digital Rolodex. It helps me keep track of where people move around, especially with my entertainment roots. People in entertainment are notorious for moving around frequently. Um, not everybody, but quite a few of them, and it helps me keep track of them. I've noticed. How many people over the years have converted into startups or entrepreneurship? Which has been really interesting. Um, I don't normally post a ton on LinkedIn, but I do keep my profile updated, and it helps them also see what I'm up to. Um, I feel like, I mean, maybe it sounds woo woo or cheesy or something, but I feel like it's a heart connection. You know, I I feel it when I'm like, you know, I come serendipitously come across someone's update or somebody because I was generous in the past. They're like. Oh my goodness! Guess what? I'm going to put you in touch with so and so. That has happened. Um, and, and in terms of business, um, you know, I, I surprise and delight with my clients, as you know. <laughs> and I surprise and delight with people who do generous things for me, like being guests on my summits. And um, you know, I, I like to do nice things for people, and I feel like they they feel the sentiment. So. I feel like those things actually go a really long way. And you you and I talk about surprise and delight a lot because it's like a really important thing that doesn't really get talked, I don't think as much as we probably could.
0: You know, I've actually been on the receiving end of a lot of surprise and delight this past, like I would say six months. Um, It's getting to be a joke. It's like at least monthly, I get a package sent to my house. And um, I, I recently got one from my friend, Melissa Smith who founded the Association of Virtual Assistants. Um, She's probably one of the people I refer the most because I love her, I love what she does. Um, And I love that there's different ways people can work with her and I love the outcome and so do the people I refer to her. So I guess I just keep doing that. And I got this huge box in the mail and I open it and there's like this um, velvet crushed bag inside, a big, big bag. And I open that and I pull it out and it's, um, it's a Jack and a Jack a box. Jack, of, what is it called? Like a- Jack in the box. Jack in the box, except that it's a puppy, <laughs> not a clown. I love this story. <laughs> she thought the clown would be too scary. And so she wrote in the card, I wanted to add a little surprise quote, <laughs> <and> delight, <laughs> surprise quote and delight. And so it was for my kids. Like, how cool is that? That she appreciated that I had made a referral. And so she sent me, that. so it's just like, I don't know. She, she knows that I've been working on doing more of that myself, but I just think it's so cool and like so many fun things. And I, I actually love that, you know, I've been sending more things in the mail, getting more things in the mail. That feels a little COVID related in a way. Like we're all home and we all appreciate getting some tangible evidence that others exist in the world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it, it makes a difference. Um, I have my short list of favorites, um, places that I like to support being an Ann Arborite, former Ann Arbor person, you know, you know, I love sending edible treats from Zingerman's. Um, I like to support date lunches <laughs> and, and I, I find that things like that um, they just make people feel really nurtured and, you know, and I don't think it has to be that big all the time. Um, I've done small things for other people too, but yeah, I think one of the easiest ways you can help someone feel seen, heard, and nurtured is just introduce them to somebody, put them in touch. I mean, at at that point, it's up to those people to like connect, but you extending yourself out there and saying, you know what, I think you guys should know each other is really, really important. Um, I, 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 I always try to put people in touch as much as possible. And eventually it pays off.
0: So we're kind of wrapping up here and this is my favorite wrap-up question. Uh, I know we're going to be staying in touch uh, because I've already booked time with you for this year. (laughs) So (laughs) I know that's going to happen, but (laughs) let's say it's a year from now and we are talking about all of your successes, all the amazing things that have happened in the prior 12 months. What are you most looking forward to? What do you think is going to be the thing that we are going to be celebrating?
1: I think the thing I will be celebrating the most in a year is actually being even more um, out there <laughs> with all of the things that make me, me. You know, I've been getting more and more comfortable, not just with the the woo-woo part, but um, I recently, as you know, rewrote my about section on my own website just to be a lot more like, firm line in the sand too, about like this, these are the values of my community. You know, I'm an LGBT owned business. I'm a member of the AAPI community. Like my friends are BIPOC. (laughs) Like if you don't understand that this is not the place for you. And I find that the more brave I am to be all of me, like really out there, the more I'm, I'm growing and I'm, I'm hoping that, um, I've I've just brought back the live mastermind style learning in my community for this year. And, and it felt appropriate to finally bring it back and, you know, and the group is already filling, which is exciting. And and I'm hoping that by this time next year, that it's a full group for the full year. And and it's filled with all the same like-minded people who are like, you know what? I needed this community. Like I'm allowed to be all of me. And, you know, we teach everybody at Sensible Woo that you are your own first system. So, you know, I hope that they're all interested in diving into mastering themselves alongside all of their business technology.
0: Wow. I cannot wait to celebrate all that with you. Um, I'm happy to say I'll be here witnessing it as it's happening. How can people find you and follow your work, Mary?
1: So people can find me online. My website is sensiblewoo.com. And I'm also on Instagram. That's primarily where I hang out at sensiblewoo. You can also find me on LinkedIn and my profile is also sensiblewoo. So I've been very smart in that marketing department. (laughs) And you can always email me too at hello at sensiblewoo.com. And I'm always happy to answer questions. Everyone's always invited to reach out.
0: Brilliant. I will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Mary, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Robbie. I'm so glad we had this chat.
0: I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mary. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes on theschmooze.com. Look for episode 247. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoy this episode with Mary, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. Easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when we'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. Ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week.